0: Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the Children's Ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org/connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. In the movie, The Sixth Sense, that came out in 1999, it was just a a blockbuster smash when it came out uh, almost in the year 2000. In that movie, The Sixth Sense, Bruce Willis played a child psychologist, and he was working with Haley Joel Osment, who was a child, uh, in the movie. And what was happening with Haley Joel Osment was his problem was that he saw dead people walking around with alive people. And so Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osmond throughout the movie are kind of going back and forth and trying to help him figure out how to solve this issue of him seeing dead people walking around with alive people. And in one of the famous scenes of the movie, Haley Joel Osmond says this to Bruce Willis, and it's really profound. He said it this way. He said the problem with dead people is they only see what they want to see because they don't know they're dead yet. The problem with dead people is they only see what they want to see because they don't understand they're dead yet. The problem with some churches today is they only see what they want to see. They don't know that they're dying or are dead. The problem with some people today is they only see what they want to see. They think they're alive in Christ when as reality, they're dead spiritually. The church of Sardis had a great past, but that's all they had was a great past. The area of Sardis, the the town of Sardis, was one of the oldest uh, founded uh, towns in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. It was founded in 1200 BC, and the town of Sardis had a glorious past. They were known for their wealth. They were known for their politics. They were known for their sin, Sardis would have kind of been the Las Vegas of the day. What happened in Sardis, what? Stayed in Sardis, right? You know, but Jesus talking to the church in Sardis in the book of Revelation gives them a stern warning and then also hope. He warns them there is danger in having a reputation that does not match reality, but then gives them hope and he gives you hope and me hope today to, for us to understand if our reputation doesn't match our reality, this is Christ who is life-giving. This is Christ who's reviving. This is Christ who can work into our lives and turn things around. So today you may go, hey, my faith is flickering. Well, then I'm going to introduce you to Jesus who says I can make that light shine. Maybe today you go, look, I I don't even know if my light's on. (laughs) I don't don't even know if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Good news is I'm going to introduce you to one who says I can turn that light on. So I want you to meet the church of Sardis this morning. Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, If you have a Bible you're going to physically open or an app, you're going to click onto your screen. Revelation chapter 3 is where we are, and when you find that passage, if you don't mind standing one more time here as we read the Word of God together, we're going to pick up in chapter 3 in verse 1. We do this just to honor the reading of the Word of God. That's why we stand. It is Jesus who gives John the words to write, this vision to the churches throughout Revelation, these seven churches. Verse 1 writes this, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Verse 2, wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you've received and heard. Keep it, verse 3 tells us, and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will uh, not know at what hour I'll come against you. Jesus says this in verse 4, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis. People have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me for uh, a while in white, for they are worthy. To the one who conquers will be clothed, thus in white garments, and I'll never blot his name out of the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father. And poor his angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we believe this is God's word. You may be seated. When we come into the church of Sardis in verse one, Jesus says, I know your works, I know your reputation. And what you see out of Jesus is this is Jesus who is life giving. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. What's interesting about the church of Sardis is there's only two times out of these seven letters uh, in which there's only two. And Sardis being one, where Jesus doesn't say, that a boy. Good job. You're doing great over here. Right? I mean, this is one of the churches that doesn't get any kind of praise, It's just Jesus saying, look, I know you have a reputation of life, but you're dead. But here's what I love about Jesus is the way he starts out that verse. As he says here, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 identifies the seven spirits of God as the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 1 verse 16, the seven stars that is the church. And we're told in Revelation 1, 16 that it is Jesus that holds the seven stars in his right hand. So Heights Baptist Church, Jesus is holding us in his right hand. You as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is holding you in his right hand. That should bring you comfort today. That should bring you peace. That should bring you joy. In a, you know, a world that's shaking, in a world that's constantly changing, the constant in your life and your relationship with Jesus is saying, Jesus, I've got you. I've got you, Mary, I've got you, Sue, I've got you, John, Uh, I've got you, Billy, I've got you in my right hand. But the way I like to think about it, just in my imagination, is that in his left hand, he has the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits of God. So here we are in the right hand of Jesus, here Jesus is with the left hand of the Holy Spirit, and there are times our lamps flicker. There are times our light doesn't burn as bright as it should in our lives for Christ. And what we need at those moments are revival. We need an awakening. We need Christ to do something in our lives. So in my just imagination, I think of it this way. Jesus, you've got me in your right hand. You've got the Holy Spirit in your left hand. I need you to work in my life. Put your hands together. Bring them together, Jesus. Revive me. Bring life again. Open me up to the things of the word of God. Help me to see things fresh and new. Give me energy for you. Again, Jesus, put those hands together. Fill me with your spirit, Ephesians five thirty-one tells us. But notice the reputation of the church is that they are alive, but Jesus says your reputation doesn't match your reality. You're dead. All right? So this is a reputation of a church that's got a good reputation in the community. Man, they, they do all kinds of stuff, people of Sardis would say. You yeah, know, they, they do vacation Bible school. They do fall festival, right? Man, they, they got a they got a worship band and a choir that, whoo, man, you're not gonna find anyone better, right? That's what the community's saying. The preacher's not too long on a Sunday morning, doesn't rabbit trail often. Like he's passable, but man, let me tell you about the youth group, right? Let me tell you about the kids' ministry. Like that's the reputation in Sardis but Jesus says your reputation doesn't match your reality. In reality, you're spiritually dead as a church. What are signs? If we had to kind of just come up with a list, and we'll come up with a short list. What are, what are some signs you think of a, of a dead or a dying church? What would be some markers along the way where we'd have to go, whoa, 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 hang on, let's, let's kind of look at that. What are some signs of a dead or a dying church you think just i just want you to kind of rattle some things in your brain as i'm going to talk out loud with you here's one sign i think is first the mission of making disciples takes a back seat to the maintenance of the church so one surefire sign of a dead or a dying church is the mission of making disciples it takes a back seat to the maintenance of the church that means this well we can't do it that way never done it that way before Can't change things in the kids' ministry because kids' ministry always does this. Can't change things in the student ministry because student ministry always does this. Can't change anything in the worship ministry. Worship ministry always does this, right? It's that idea in a church that we're just maintaining programs. It's the idea of we're maintaining strategies because that's the strategy that we have always done. Listen, let me say it this way. That doesn't honor the Lord. That, That doesn't. Doesn't honor the Lord at all. You know why? It doesn't invite the Lord in the process. It's just maintaining. Hey, God, we got it. We, we got our calendar. We know what we're doing. We've been doing it this way. Instead, what happens is making disciples that mission, it takes a backseat to the maintenance of the church. That's a surefire way of knowing that you're dying as a church or you're dead as a church because it's not seeking, Lord, where do you want us to go? God, how do you want us to engage a new culture around us? Lord, how do you want us to make disciples today? Maybe making disciples today is not the way we used to make disciples. Maybe we've never been a part of planting churches as a church, but now we need to start planting churches as a church. Maybe we've never been a part of doing this, but Lord, you're calling us to do this, right? And so a surefire way to know you're dead or dying as a church is if making disciples takes a backseat to maintenance. I wrote down this one too. Let me see if you agree with this. The preference of members takes precedent over welcoming people into the church. Okay? That's a surefire way to me that you're dead or dying as a church. And as I consult around our state with uh, churches that need revitalization with our state convention, that's one we talk about. The preference of the members takes priority over welcoming new people in the church. What often happens in established churches is this. You form your groups, all right? I'm going to call them little bubbles this morning, right? You form your bubble. You get in a life group. You get plugged into that life group. It's a good life group. You love your life group. Well, then as a life group, you kind of put a bubble around yourselves. And listen, in your life group, you have found life. You have found hope. You have found friendships. You have found peace. You have found joy. You have people that serve you, and you get to serve them. And that is all fantastic. Don't get me wrong. That's what we need in our churches. It's how disciples are made, right? And so you find that group. You find your bubble. Or maybe you find some discipleship partnerships with others, and you find that group, and you find that bubble. All right? But here's what happens. You just stay in that bubble. And then when new people come in, and they're looking for what you have found, they're looking for hope, and they're looking for life, and they're looking for encouragement, and they're looking for a place to belong, they can't find a way in because you're all in just the little bubble. All right? So the, the, the preferences of the members... Has taken precedence over the new folks coming in being welcoming into that community so let me ask some questions out loud this morning i wonder how many bubbles need to start popping in our life groups this morning how many life groups need to go pop 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 maybe some of us need to leave this group and start new groups so new people can find a life group how many of us now need to start popping some of the bubbles of our friendships that we've had for 20 years and 30 years in this church, and that's fantastic, and that's awesome, and that's great. But how many of us need to go pop, pop, I need to invite this person into this group? I need, to, I need to go. I need to ask them to be a part of what I have found. How many of us maybe need to answer that call to come out of that life group? Pop, pop, and go serve in our children's ministry. Go serve in our youth department. Maybe go out and start another church. Go out and plant churches so the gospel spreads. How many bubbles do we need to pop in Heights Baptist Church this morning so that we do not become a sick, dying church where the precedence, uh, or the preference of our members take precedence over new people coming in? How about this, a third one in this, and then I'll move off of this part of the passage, is the church talks more about what they have done instead of talking about what they will do for God. A surefire way to know that a church is sick and dying is if they always just talk about what they've done instead of looking forward about what God wants them to do. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm life-giving. And maybe today, you, you just right now already start going, man, the, 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 the reputation doesn't match the reality in my life. This is Christ that gives us life, and he calls us to take action in order to find this life. I want you to notice there's five imperatives in the text. We're going to move them through them fairly quickly. They're pretty self-explanatory, but if you find yourself with the flickering lamp today, this is what Jesus is calling you to do. He says, number one, wake up. Verse two, wake up, be alert, your translation says. This is a jolt. This is a very strong word in the Greek. It is to wake up. I don't know if you've ever done this in your life, but I did this uh, this week and it really made me mad when I did it. But I was in a dream and I was dreaming and in my dream, I was telling myself, wake up, wake up wake up. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was just very forceful. So it was like, Lee, wake up, Lee, wake up. So I sat up straight in my bed and I was wide awake and I grabbed my phone. I'm like, oh, it's 4 a.m. Doggone rats. Anybody ever? I was like, well, now I can't get back to sleep. I'm awake because I've been telling myself to wake up. Right. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, wake up. There's two times in the history of Sardis that the city had been conquered because the watchman had failed to warn the city that the enemy was approaching. For some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying, wake up, be alert. Notice the second action. Strengthen what remains, for it is about to die, for I've not found your works complete in the sight of God. He's saying strengthen for what you have, all right? So what you have now, church, start us, strengthen it. Get moving again. Get active again. Start praying again. Start reading your Bible again. Start sharing the gospel again. Start discipling people again. So today, if you find yourself, look, man, I, my light is flickering. Jesus is saying, wake up. Start. Just start where you are. Get moving again. Why? Because the, it, the work is yet to be completed. Understand what happens in a church is when you stop evangelizing people, you'll eventually fossilize. When you fail to evangelize, you'll fossilize in your faith. The greatest way to grow your faith is not another six-week Bible study. The greatest way you and I are going to grow our faith is to talk about our faith. That's the greatest way. Because the greatest way you can grow your faith is to engage an unbeliever in sharing your testimony and the gospel, and that person asking you questions back. And they're going, Wait a minute, I don't believe that. What about this? What about this? What about this? What is that now going to force some of you to do that you maybe have never done is now investigate why you believe what you believe? But if all of your Christianity is built on, I'm just going to show up to the six-week Bible studies, and nothing against the six-week Bible studies, but all I'm going to do is intake, and I'm never going to output the Word of God, then all you've done is just take it in. You've not flexed the muscle. It's like showing up to the gym and just walking around and standing on the treadmill. are you going to do stand there. You're not going to get any more shape. I'm gonna get skinnier. You're taking in the environment of the gym. Well, I'm on the equipment, right? And I'm watching this other person work out. But what do I have to do to get in shape and lose weight? Gotta work out, right? I don't, I, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't, I was kind of asking for audience or participation on that one, but that's my fault. I, uh, you sometimes don't know if I'm rhetorical or, or I'm asking for responses. So if you ever get confused, if I ever do like this, that's where I want. <laughs> That's a response motion, okay? So if I go like this, then I want some response back. So just clarifying roles here. That's all right. My fault on that. But I want you, I want you to see that. Is he, he's saying strengthen what remains. Get moving because the, the work isn't complete. See, churches that transition from being a movement of God to maintaining for God will one day become a monument that doesn't honor God. Okay? Churches that transition from being a movement Lord, how do we move the gospel out? How do we advance? What do we have to do to get this gospel out? When they transition from being a movement to maintaining, all right, God, here's what we know how to do, so we're just going to do this. One day those, that movement's going to turn to maintenance, and maintenance is going to turn to a monument. And that monument doesn't honor God as a church because they're dead. They're no longer alive. That's the church of Sardis. That's where they're teetering. So Jesus says, number three, remember what you have heard. Right, so I want to wake up, I want to strengthen, I want to get moving again, and I want to remember what I've heard, verse 3, remember them, what you have received and heard, right? What I've received and heard is the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus, Is what Revelation chapter 1, verse 15 says, that it is Christ who loves us and has freed us from our sins. Right? That good news of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't only for you when you come to faith, Right. So we think about it this way, and sometimes we communicate it this way, and I don't always love the way we do this, is we say, okay, here's the ABCs of the gospel. admit, believe, confess, all right? Just do the ABCs and you become a Christian, right? The problem with that is this. The gospel is the A through Z of the Christian life. So just because I'm a visual person, I like to think of it this way. The gospel is the diving board that you jump off of to get into the pool of life, but guess what the pool is? It's the gospel, It's what we swim in all the time as Christians. It's what we often, often rehearse over and over and over in our lives. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Why? Because of this man by the name of Jesus who died on a cross for me. That's the gospel. When you hold on to that, you remember that. You rehearse that. It strengthens you in your faith. It helps that light continue to burn brightly. So Jesus says, wake up. Strengthen what you have. Verse 3, remember. Let me give you verse 4. He says, keep it. What am I keeping? I'm keeping the gospel. I'm keeping it. The word keep there in the Greek means to have a firm hold. Have a firm hold. Have you done this like I have you take your cell phone out of your pocket, and in the process of taking it out from your pocket to your hands, it drops, right, Yeah. You know, and, and now you crack the screen, and you're like, oh my gosh, I just cracked my screen, and then you have to go and do what I did and get like the strongest case that you possibly can find out there, you know. What have you learned when you drop that phone? Next time you're taking it out of your pocket, what are you doing? You're keeping a grip on it, right? You're keeping a firm hold on it because you don't want to drop it. In Christian life, that's the gospel. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to let it slip from my fingers. I want to keep a strong hold on the word of God in my life. And so Jesus says the fifth action we take, we wake up. We get moving again. We remember the gospel. We hold on to the gospel. But notice what he says at the end of verse 3. He says you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent of your deadness. You need to repent of your inactivity. You need to repent of your sin, and that word repent we've defined in this series because he tells each church to repent. To repent means to change of mind, to change of heart, to change of action. It's, it's to do a 180. You know, I repented the other day in Kroger. I'll let you know that. I repented, Yeah, because we often think repentance is just for when you come to faith, like, okay, you're a non-Christian, you repent of your sin, you receive Jesus, now you're a Christian. Yeah, that's part of that process. Repentance is there. But we often think as Christians, repentance is just for, for those folks coming to faith. No, no. We are repenting people as Christians. Should be an active part of our lives all the time. We are constantly repenting for things. So repentance worked out like this for me the other day in Kroger. I'm on aisle five. I'm buying something off the shelf. I think, oh, my goodness, my wife asked me to get something from produce. Well, if you've been in produce and you're on aisle five, if you're, you know, you're kind of facing the meat section, produce is over to your right. So I stopped at aisle five right in the middle. I thought, I don't want to go back to produce. It's way over there. I'm on aisle five. I'm three-fourths of the way done with the list. But then I repented. I changed my mind. I need to go to produce. I changed my heart. If I come home without that bag of salad, I'm in trouble. I changed my actions. I turned around on aisle five and I went back to produce. And when I got home, whoo, it was glorious. Right. Sometimes, when it comes to sin, we'll change our mind. Ow, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Why'd I do that again? change our heart. Lord, I'm sorry. I I won't ever do that one again. Just just forgive me. But we fail to change the action. Repentance involves all three. And the reason Jesus is calling us to those imperatives that have such force of remember, keep, repent, wake up, strengthen is because of the warning. If you don't do this, he says, I'm going to come like a thief. And you'll not know what hour I'll come against you. That verse there is not pointing us to the end of Revelation to a second coming, but as we've seen in this series, it's a divine intervention. It's a coming into this life of this church. And Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming if you don't repent. Because your reality Of Being alive doesn't match your reputation. You're dead spiritually. Now, not all the people in Sardis were that way, though. And and there's some encouragement we find. Because Jesus says, verse 4, there's still a few of you in the church. You've not sold your garments. And they're going to walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And I I want you to notice in in verses 5 and 6 as we wrap this up, the three promises of rewards of faithfulness. Because remember, being a Christian is not just about how you start. It's how you walk. It's how you finish. The true mark of Christianity is finishing the race. And so Jesus is telling them, and he's telling you, and he's telling me, stay faithful. Stay faithful, Heights Baptist Church. Stay faithful as a Christian. Keep on running, because here's the reward. When you finish your, your walk with Christ, when you finish your reward with faith, he says the first reward is this, the one who conquers, verse 5, is clothed in white garments. In heaven, we receive a white garment showing that we are cleansed and forgiven, That white garment that we receive, it's not based on our works here uh, on earth. It's based on the work of Christ. It is Christ that cleanses us. It's based on his justifying work on the cross. He says in heaven, now I have made you clean. Notice the second reward is you receive that white garment in heaven. He says, and I'll never blot your name out of the book of life. I love this part. Because in this time, in this day, in this age of the church of Sardis, uh, a lot of times the towns kept a citizen registry. And so as a citizen, your name was written down. You are such and such a citizen of Sardis. Well, if you broke a law, you, you committed a crime, you did something to make a city official mad, what they could do was erase that name out of that scroll, erase that name out of that list. Well, if your name got erased from the citizen list, now you are no longer a citizen of Sardis anymore. But Jesus says that once you come to faith, that God will never erase your name out of the book of life. Amen? And and so here he says, I'm going to clothe you in white garments. Just finish your race. Stay faithful. Keep on growing. Come alive. I'm going to not blot your name out of the book of life. But notice also the third promise is this. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. Jesus told the disciples in Matthew 10, verses 32 through 33 this. He says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is heaven. So Jesus is saying to this, to me and you, if you're not ashamed of me now, I'm not ashamed of you then. If you're ashamed of me now, I'm not confessing your name then. So don't be ashamed of Christ. Finish your race. Stay faithful to him. So let me ask you this. Does your reputation match your reality? Does your reputation match your reality today? If you say, yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm saved. Everybody knows I'm saved. Does it really match the reality? You know, this past week I had to go to the... um, eye doctor, I've been having some problems with my left eye. And so he he had to sit me down. And and as a contact wearer uh, for, you know, over 20 some odd years, I've been now my left eye has decided to reject contacts for the moment. And so he was like, okay, we've got to ask some uh, diagnostic questions in order to figure out what the problem is with your eye so I know how to treat it. And so he has started asking me all these questions. He said, okay, I think I know what it is. And here's the treatment. So let me just ask you this morning, if you'll allow me to ask some diagnostic questions just so you can identify does my reputation match my reality number one i'm going to ask this as a church at heights are we so good at doing our ministries that we don't need god to show up anymore are we so good at doing what we do that we have failed to stop inviting the presence of the Lord in what we do. We're so used and good of, man, we, we can do what we can do, God. We don't really need you anymore. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you really spent time with God? Not rushed, just reading, praying. When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? It was the last time you discipled someone. It was the last time you just really thought about God. Let me ask this of our church Do we as a church care more about our comforts or do we care more about those in our community that are one heartbeat away of being in hell for all of eternity? What do we care more about? Care more about our comforts or do we care more about that person who's one heartbeat away? from being in hell for all of eternity. Let me ask you this. How are you engaging and growing God's kingdom? Whose salvation are you praying for? Who who are you sharing the gospel with personally? Who are you inviting to church? I mean, how are you doing that? And maybe today, as I just ask those diagnostic questions, maybe today you say, you know what? There's parts of my reputation that aren't matching my reality right now. Maybe today you, you identify I'm not I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I ought to be. And maybe today you, you go, man, my light's flickering. But just like we started, remember it's Jesus that holds you in his right hand. It's Jesus that has the Holy Spirit in his left hand, if you will. And maybe that prayer is today, Jesus, put those hands together. Fill me afresh and anew with your spirit. Revive my heart, because my lamp is flickering, my faith is failing. And Jesus, I need you to interject life in me today. Maybe today it's for you to pray as a church, for us not to be so comfortable just with ourselves that we forget about a community around us that's dying and going to hell. Maybe maybe it's for you and for me to pray, God, would we make Alvin, Texas, almost impossible to go to hell from Alvin, right? That, That we just get the gospel out so much that people are just saturated with it wherever we go. Maybe it's today for you to say, you know, I'm not a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the reality I'm in. And the good news is this is Jesus who died on a cross for your sin, for my sin. This is Jesus who gives life to those who come to him by faith. And maybe today Jesus is calling your name to say, come to faith in me. I want to thank you for watching today's message. I just want to ask you one simple question as we close our time together today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? See, that's a very key question because I didn't just ask, do you know Jesus, but do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? My story is that I grew up going to church. I was in a house where going to church on a Sunday morning was not really an option. Uh, the joke in my house with my dad was, if I came to him and said, Hey, Dad, I don't want to go to church today. Uh, he would look at me and say, Well, do you want to eat lunch later? Because we're going to eat lunch after church. And all those that go to church get to eat lunch. And so I, I was brought in a home where I was at church all the time. I was you know, one of those that went to Sunday school, vacation Bible school. Anytime the doors were open, my family was there. And so I grew up hearing about Jesus I grew up knowing about Jesus, but it was at the age of 14, one night in my bedroom, that I realized I didn't know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I've always been a Christian. I've always loved Jesus. And you know, the Bible doesn't teach that. Instead, the Bible teaches that you and I have to make a personal, conscious decision to follow Jesus in our lives. That's what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter three, that you have to be born again, that there has to be a time in your life where you said, yes, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I'm gonna ask you that question again. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and savior? Have you made that decision in your life to follow him by faith? And so one night in my bedroom, like I said, it was in the month of August. I decided as a 14 year old, right then and there, I was gonna be a believer in Jesus and I placed my faith and trust in Him. And maybe right now where you are, you're ready today to say, I wanna be a believer in Christ, to have my sins forgiven, to know that I can have a relationship with God now that lasts throughout all of eternity so that when I die, I go to heaven to be with Him because I've trusted in what Christ has done for me. So I'm gonna lead in a time of prayer And if you're ready today, right where you are, to become a believer in Christ, you can pray along with me because God knows our hearts and that's what's key in this, but you may not know how to form the words to say. So let me just form some words with you and just pray right now. Father God, I am ready to become a believer in Jesus. Right now today, I trust Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I confess my sin to you and now I'm ready to follow Christ as the one who's forgiven me of my sin, dying on the cross for me, being raised from the grave to forgive me and give me new life. Thank you, God, for loving me. Friend, I want to just thank you. If you prayed with us today, we want to hear from you. You can let us know that by going to heightschurch.org connect. There's going to be a decision button right there on the website that you can fill out a very short form that's going to come right to me. And we would love to follow up with you, pray with you, help you just take your simple next steps of faith. And so thank you for watching. We would love to see you in person if you're in our area. Uh, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. are our life groups, 1030 a.m. is our worship service. And so till we see each other again, God bless.